Hi, this is Pam and this is Must Love Food. Thanks for joining us today. Maddie, Robin, and John are here with me and we are going to talk to you about kitchen tips we actually use and more. And the more basically is some Q&A questions and answers that we think might be of interest to you. So every issue we publish tips, which we are told is one of our biggest, our uh, most popular and most well-read departments. And so um, we get a lot of tips. We bypass a lot of tips because we've either done them or they're just not up to par. Robin tests all the tips. But there are some that we have found that we use. And so we thought we would share those with you and um, some maybe other nuggets that could help you in your kitchen endeavors. Uh, So anyhow, I'll start off. I'll just (laughs) jump in. Uh, This is one... I don't know if this is published, but this is one I've asked to be published. Um, I juice, uh, especially in the summer, if I might be making um, drinks or beverages or something, and I'm juicing lemons and limes, or I'm doing a lot of testing, you can't tell the juices apart. So I use a yellow rubber band and a green rubber band to distinguish the two little um, ramekins I put them in. So it's just an easy, quick visual. You can see the yellow one is lemon and the green one is lime. You don't have to worry about using the wrong one in whatever you're making. That was one I've always liked. Um, Or doing the sniff test. (laughs) I can't tell from the sniff test. I know. It's so hard to decipher. And then you're like, okay, I'll taste it. (laughs) Uh And then even still. mm -hmm, And you think you've, anyway. Um, but the nice thing is, even if you've labeled it, you don't even have to take it out to look at the label. If you see the, the rubber band eye around it, I level, it's just a very easy grab and go. Um, and then another one, um, or two that I'll just kind of mention one is softening butter. And this one is, um, if you've got butter that you need to soften, put it in the microwave defrost for 20 seconds and every five seconds, turn it. And I have used that one often to uh, soften butter. Um, and then the last one I'll mention, I have I have many others that I've noted. Yeah, but that um, one does work really well, Pam. I, I, yes. I like the one because it, yeah, on the defrost setting, it's, it doesn't get away from you. And Exactly. Uh, right. Yeah. And it, sometimes it's not enough, I found too, but it's better to right. be under than over. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like, don't trust those microwaves where it's like, right. oh, let me see. What number am I supposed to push for, you know, so, and then it's like all melted. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and all microwaves have sort of different powers. And so if you've got one of the old struggle bus uh, microwaves, that 20 seconds probably isn't enough. But if you have one of the higher power um more modern ones, then you might be, that might work exactly for you. But again, I think it's a good range for kind of most all microwaves. And then sort of, if you need to zap a little bit more, just be mindful. But I I have found that one really helpful. Um, And then the other one, um, we published this in issue 135. It's heating the oven. If you need to heat your oven quickly, turn it on broil high, broil high, if you have an option, sometimes you don't have an option on broil high or or whatnot, but broil it. And that, because it's at a very high temperature for a few minutes, and then go in and um, change it to your bake 
temperature, you've given the oven a real nice kickstart and it will take less time for your oven to preheat. I really like that one a lot. Um, I do it at home. I do it in the office and yeah. So those are a few. I, like I said, I have many others, but I, I won't, I'm not the only one here. So <laughs> anybody else do? I was going to say, I do do that last one. I, I definitely uh -huh. do that. I think that's just and kind of a, a adjunct to that too is when I want to uh, just I'm feeling in a hurry or whatever, for whatever reason, I'll start to um, bake whatever it is, usually a roast of some sort or reheat of some sort where uh, when I'm preheating, I just put the item in there. So it preheats along with the oven. Along with that one, this was another tip that um, that I like. I think we um, did it in issue 143. I always reheat my pizza in a cast iron skillet. And, but this one, and I always do it on the stovetop. And so you're, and I kind of watch it and you kind of just watch to see as it softens and the cheese starts to, start to bubble a little bit and the the bottom starts to crisp up a little. So I like that one, but this one was to actually um, put the pan in an oven. And I think it's 375. Um, I can look that one up, um, but put it in a cast iron skillet, put it into the oven cold. And by the time the oven heats up, then the pizza is done. So um I did not, like I said, I do it on the stovetop, but that one caught my eye because I think um, reheating pizza in a cast iron skillet is the only way to go. Um, well, anyway. jumping mm -hmm. off of those, it kind of uh -huh. combines a few of them uh, using your cast iron to thaw something frozen, like a steak oh, or something yeah. out of the freezer. You just put it on top of the, you know, just a plain cast iron doesn't have to be heated, nothing. And it just, you know, takes that, the cold right out of it. And then even if you put another one on top of it, it really kind of gets both sides versus the one and right, flipping. Yeah. No, I definitely use that one. And I have used that one since we published it, I think. So I agree. I know I've told people about it because it's always like, oh man, and that you do, you just forget about it, but then you're like, wait a second, I've got to, I know exactly yeah. how to make this faster. <laughs> uh, I've got the solution for this. Another one talking about like cooking oven related, I had um, before we got the air fryer, I was always doing my wings in the <laughs> oven in the winter time. Uh -huh. the air fry I love air fried wings. I probably have talked about it. Anyways, <laughs> so whether you're doing cooking something on a rack inverted into a baking sheet, a lot of times when I would do the wings in the oven, you get all these crusty bits and like stuff caked onto that pan. So um, I do hot soapy water into the pan and flip the rack inside of it upside so it's you know oh, the right. down yeah, are yeah, inside yeah. and yeah. loosening versus taking forever to kind of just scrubbing at it so that's always one right. that i thought was helpful okay well then along that line but not exactly <laughs> when, we're talking, when we're talking about ovens and we're talking about sheet pans oh um, i'm going to talk about cleaning <laughs> well not cleaning but so many times i think that we can benefit by putting our sheet pan in the oven while it's heating up Sure. Uh, so like if you're doing wings or if you're roasting vegetables, get that pan hot and then you have to be a little cautious, of course, but get that pan hot, get a start on, you know, you're roasting your vegetables and stuff. Just stick it in there while that, uh, while your oven's reheating or preheating and then put your, your veggies on there and it's ready to start yeah, right away. Yeah, for, for roasting veggies. Start. 
yeah for right. roasting veggies just, and stuff yeah doesn't work for everything but you right. know it's something that just tuck that one away in your head and then you have it but that doesn't go with cleaning but it does go with sheet pans and, and the oven. <laughs> all right now bam uh, so the, the cleaning one that I liked, this one is, um, I think it's from issue 140, and it was cleaning a French press. That is how I drink my coffee. So you just add soapy water to the the press and use the plunger to actually agitate right. it. I never did that. <laughs> it was, and I saw that and I thought, why haven't you been doing this? Okay. <laughs> So um, it's a very simple, um, you know, it's it's right. not much of a it's not much of a aha maybe to to everyone. <laughs> I I it I is if you haven't done it. It, it is, is if you if haven't you done have it, and it, <laughs> and if you drink your coffee out of a French press, which I do, and so um, that was an eye opener and how I clean my French press every day right. now. It's kind of mm -hmm. like the blender, adding soap, you know, water mm -hmm. and a little bit of soap and blending. Right. You know, my husband didn't know that yes. trick. And it was like, oh, oh you've been scrubbing them? Oh. <laughs> Again, makes life so much easier. Both of those, yes. Um, well, one we just published recently, I think it was, um, actually, and it was using... Um, it was good to the last drop. I think it was an issue 152. And this was a, like a Lydia thing. When I worked with her, she always talked about sloshing the, the can that if you are, you know, cooking with um, tomatoes, canned tomatoes or whatever it may be, use some of the liquid in your um, in a recipe to pour into the can to get the last drop. And I think the recipe, the, the tip related to, I think mayonnaise or something making, um, potato salad or something to that or, yeah. but yes and it's yeah. so it's it's just being smart about it trying not to waste the dregs that are in your jar because they're hard to get out it also wastes time and water to try to clean those jars so thoroughly so get a little bit more out of the jar by um just using some of your liquid and so that's one i like too yeah i like that one okay then if we're going to talk about cleaning things i guess um let's talk about salt and one of my all-time favorite ones is when you have made a dough or so, and it's sticky in the in the bowl, you pour some some especially kosher salt because it's you know bigger crystals. So you pour that in that bowl and you you rub it around and that dough will come off like nobody's business and it just gathers it all up and you can just throw it away and that bowl is is a peach to clean after that. You can just wash it and the, there's no scrubbing really on it and it doesn't go down your drain. And um, so salt in that bowl will, I mean, if you've got a yeast or a, a, I don't know what else, but a dirty bowl, I guess. And it just gathers it all up and it's great. I love mm -hmm. it. I love it. I love that tip. <laughs> I love it. I, I love agree. It. That is a good one. And isn't there one which I'm I'm remembering now that you said salt? If you like drop an egg, yes, cover it with salt. Yes, yes, and it will oh. kill that egg, and you what? can just wipe it up with a you know with a paper towel or something like that, and it just easy peasy, and you, you don't chase yes. that that egg mess all around. It just once it solidifies it, so it's such makes a it great ingredient. Not, it really is. <laughs> just a little bit of salt or what? Well, you make it enough so you pour Kinda it on cover it. to cover it and it will congeal it up. I mean, you'll know when you're putting it on there if it's enough to make it oh. a, more of a solid mass or a, a mass mm -hmm. that you can just 
pick up and you don't have to chase that white the egg white mm-hmm. around yeah wow no i've never heard of that wow oh that one is a like great that. one it as a messy person sometimes i have used that one i, I never it. make a mess in the kitchen that's probably I'm so proud of you john i'm just so <laughs> proud of you i cannot say the same I'm going to pivot too, because it's sort of along the lines of like cleaning up again, but this is about degreasing. And I have done this, but I I love this tip that we published in issue 149, that if you're making a sauce or or stock soup, whatever it may be, and you've got um, kind of a heavy amount of maybe some grease on the surface, that just lay a paper towel on top to soak up the grease and then just pull that off. Um, depending on how much you want to degrease your, your um, mm-hmm. pot of goodness, whatever it may be. But I, um, I've done that for a long time, but I do like that tip. I've also, yeah. which I don't know if it's been published, but I would, I just always have done this just for, you know, um, whenever we have family over, a lot of times I'll prep stuff and get things ready for like either a breakfast the next morning or, you know, or the next meal kind of thing. Um, but a lot of times I'll cook up sausage, just ground sausage and then drain it off. But then I'll, I'll still put a paper towel in the bottom of my container and then put the cooked sausage in there. So then when I reheat, Uh I'll just dump it into the pan. But then it's amazing how much more grease still came out when it was just, you know, sitting. So that was another, just kind of get a little more grease out of there. Yeah. Uh, We're kind of, I know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Along that line too, with um, kind of layering pa- or paper towels, different. The um, I think this was a Kim thing, uh, and I know when we did our tip um, class, a uh, class. I love this one where if you go and buy the big clamshell, especially if you're buying a large one because you don't go through them quite as lo- uh, quickly, but um, dump out the contents when you you get the the greens at home. Just dump them out. Wipe out the clamshell. Then layer a wipe out the sides because you want to try to get as no much moisture. moisture exactly any of the beads that are that have been um, inside and so then do a you know a good layer of paper towels maybe you know three four sheets thick on the bottom do a layer of your greens a couple paper towels in between more greens more paper towels and it really does extend the life of your greens so I do love that tip um, and it's one mm-hmm. that I use. I agree. Especially and a lot of days. times too, it's kind of like, oh, one layer is a good portion for one meal. So exactly. Exactly. That's a good point. Yeah, I like that point too. But so. um I have another paper towel one now that it's uh-huh. like all these little triggers. <laughs> um, I know. <laughs> Sorry, I we're mean, going so a little ping pong or uh, a little um Yeah, all uh, over the place. Exactly. Um, keeping it fun. You gotta keep up. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so like one that has been popular in the test kitchen is, you know, celery. You don't ever seem to like go through your whole thing of celery. So a lot of times to preserve it longer, we'll wrap it in a damp paper towel and then wrap that in foil. And it's amazing how crisp it stays for like a long time. A very true. Well, and then to re-crisp it, if it has become kind of limp, can't you put it into, and I could be wrong about this, can't you put it into some ice cold water? Um, yeah. uh, okay. Yep. Do you just do the Plunge stem? the whole thing into the, whole, the uh-huh. or like have like a big measuring cup and, you know, fill it with some, you know, put it back into the fridge. Right. Um, yes, I, I 
sadly tossed some limp um, celery yesterday because we had not wrapped it that way in the test kitchen. <laughs> it's a good um, tip if you remember to a, use it. <laughs> it is. It is. <laughs> Tips are all good if you remember to use them. <laughs> exactly. Um, what's the, what, do we know what the science is behind the aluminum foil and the celery? I mean, why that works? Because it does work really well. It does. It preserve the celery for weeks. So I don't know what the science is for sure because I'm no, I'm no scientist. My guess is that you're keeping the dampness of that paper towel because it does work best when the paper towel is. Yes, it's damp, and I have yes. been known to redamp. I do redampen it. Yes, Same. when I use it, I'll I'll dampen that towel again, and it just keeps it makes it a more humid environment. I would is my guess. Well, and I'm okay. also curious too is if it keeps it colder as that's well. That's what I was just going to say. I oh, think yeah, it's it. I think idea. it. It's sort of like the cast iron skillet idea. Mm -hmm. I think the oh, metal okay. holds the cold heat, and so it's it's keeping it very crisp. So same principle of of putting it into really cold water to crisp it up again i think the mm. idea is yeah. damp towel and that yeah maddie we just navigated that one. <laughs> oh, girl you're on it watch out world <laughs> i just guessed and john didn't know so who's the smart ones here today mm -hmm. <laughs> Not me. Okay, we're so guesstimating uh, then I'll throw out an easy tip and this is and but this has been my favorite forever and I think we published this oh way back in like 2006 and it is um uh, you know your KitchenAid mixer I keep mine on the counter because I simply oh. I don't have room in the in the cupboard for it and I don't want to heft it around because that they're heavy um and you put it on you rest it on a placemat or something you know that will that's fabric that will move. And so I, I keep it on the placemat and I can just simply slide it forward. And I keep mine in the corner because right. it fits back. It's kind of big. And it so I keep it in the corner of the uh, countertop. And when I want to use it, I can just slide it out. I just pull, pull that's it nice. by the uh, yeah. placemat and it pulls out where I can use it. And I can just shove it back. And when that gets dirty, I can just pull it out and wash it, put it back in there. It's clean again. Um, really i have loved that it's been all, a lifesaver all of our countertop appliances we've done that with so oh, yeah it, it works really like, well and yeah, it, it helps like really actually simple. cleaning underneath as well so i mean yep totally the other one is to put little felt pads kind of like you would on chairs like you know you just right. put those little things underneath it so same concept but it's not it taking up a big piece it's more just on the foots and a yeah. lot more um, clean look <laughs> Yeah. Uh, related but different and this is one that I learned in culinary school and I'm sure and I know we talked about it I think on our tip class um, of using a damp paper towel underneath your cutting board on your mm -hmm. counter to try to keep it steady because it you really you know <clears throat> you're working with a sharp knife hopefully you have a sharp knife um, mm -hmm. and if not that's that is something to you know a, a dull Good knife reminder is, yeah, a dull knife is actually uh, more dangerous than a sharp knife. Oh, yeah. uh, but but so you're, you know, you're cutting and stuff. You just don't want your board to move around a lot. And so that's one um, I think is a very good thing to. Okay, I got do. a cutting board one just like okay. that. No, you're <laughs> keeping me going. Um, you're not so take I, mine, are you? <laughs> hopefully not, but it could. Um, so a lot of times whenever I'm working with like, you know, tomatoes or watermelon or anything messy or has lots of juice, I set my cutting board 
inside a baking sheet so it kind of contains yep. all the juices so cleanup is a breeze and not all over your counter yep. right you that know what <laughs> somewhere to go <laughs> i do paper towels like extend dry paper towels underneath it to extend it with the the damp one underneath that's what i've done but that might be um the baking sheet might be a better option mm -hmm. don't know might well, have to it, test it, that one it is if you're doing something like watermelon the fruit that gets tomatoes juicy. yeah something that gets real juicy it is kind of nice to touch mm -hmm. it <laughs> yeah because it's like yeah your cutting board has those ridges but it can only hold so much so right. when i'm in like canning season making all my salsa and stuff it's like juices galore so <laughs> yeah and i have actually i think i've done that with um like a big cut of meat too i believe mm -hmm. And when I worked in hotels and we were doing banquet service, we always set it up like that, like for prime rib and whatnot. We mm -hmm. put the cutting board inside a big sheet tray and start cutting away for service. So, yeah, those ridges around the cutting board, if you've got them, just don't seem to. <laughs> no bueno. Is there to be a nuisance because when you want to scrape your stuff up, it's uh -huh. kind of just getting away. I don't know. I mean, one swift little pick and it's all over. Like. <laughs> <laughs> there you go so john did we infringe on your tip <laughs> yeah yeah you nailed it so oh that's fine. But, hey but the good um, ones everyone knows that's just it i mean so many of these is like uh ones that i do use and so many of them are actually new to me i was surprised as i, I was reviewing things about why don't i do that one and why don't i do this one <laughs> Well, okay, here's a couple of more of my favorite ones, and that just makes so much sense. Um, when I am filling a pastry bag, I put it in a tall glass, mm -hmm. and it yeah. just, it, it's like a, just a, a third hand. It's just holding it, and you can push, put the sides, hold the sides over the top of the glass, mm -hmm. and you can just fill that pastry bag. And I do, I do give it a little twist on the end so it doesn't all out through the out. tip end of it right. but um boy that just makes life so much easier to just fill that pastry bag and you're good to go and everyone who has seen me like at birthday parties yep. getting the cupcakes ready and stuff they're always like wow that is so ingenious <laughs> it's like it does <laughs> it is so easier and i mean because refilling a pastry bag period is like messy so even when you're refilling it helps that it's just right. like it's still a messy job but it's a certainly a lot easier when you can do yeah. it that way so i do like that um well i i use that as well for uh liquid leftovers you know if i'm oh, gonna sure, fill up yes. a, use yeah. a True. plastic bag inside them tall glass it's like you said it's just a third hand to hold things mm -hmm. apart so it does make it easier so um okay well all right another thing with a well not a pastry bag but how about a ziploc um if you're making deviled eggs because we're you know coming off of, coming into the holidays soon making deviled eggs if you take all your your yolks and put them in a ziploc and just put all your ingredients in there and mush them you can just mush mush your all your ingredients together for the filling and then you can just clip off the corner of the bag and fill your whites with that from right from that bag and you don't have mess it's all in that bag and there you are you're done oh that's nice mm -hmm. it works that's really well and nice. you can you can even give it to one of the kids to do if you got some sure. yeah. 
I don't yeah. begging you. But if he took out somebody who wants to give, give you a hand <laughs> in the kitchen, you go, here you go. And you just let them squish. <laughs> hurt it. Um, yeah, don't I, squish no, too don't hard. Get <laughs> you the corners. It, it, it really does. It, it it makes like it's fun and it it's easy. You don't have to have somebody else help you. But um, I have found that it does help. Um, you know, spread the fun and and get people involved in the kitchen and let the little ones help too is fun. Well, and along the deviled eggs is to bulk up your filling. You know make an extra egg and add that to your filling. Right. Whites and everything. Put the whole thing in mm-hmm. there. Yeah, definitely. So, so and hopefully tell- it's one of those that didn't peel very nice. Just throw that yeah. in there. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> talk about that one for a second. What's the idea on that? So you, so if you, ha- you know, cook up an extra egg when you're making, like, say you're doing a dozen eggs, you know, whatever. And so you're doing baker's dozen. Exactly. Uh So you cook up an extra egg, you know, so you're adding more, like one more, you know, so basically when you're doing deviled eggs, you're using the yolks, correct? Mm -hmm. And some other stuff. For the filling. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. So you're just making it a bulkier filling. So you've got more topper for those 12 eggs. Oh, okay. Make them look fuller. and. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. This is not part of the tip thing, but Anybody know why they call it a baker's dozen? I mean, I, I understand the concept. Do you th- does anybody understand the origin? Did the baker used to give you a freebie with every do- dozen you bought or something? Or I don't know. Maybe it's like for six you get egg roll. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Go to Lamia oh, at about one o'clock in the afternoon and see. <laughs> well, I remember as a kid in San Francisco, we would walk down to the butcher and I he always gave me a free slice of bologna. I love to go to the butcher with my mom because I get yeah, a free slice of bologna. <laughs> kind of like if you go to High V, the girls know to get a cookie. Like, oh, really? Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Hidden tip: yeah. go to the my, the bakery section. <laughs> Do you usually get a free cookie. Yeah, my kids so, took advantage of that. You'd stop in at the bakery first thing before going to school and grab a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a common baking one that I think we have talked about lots of times, but it's always one that I, you know, do without even thinking anymore is like, especially right now I'm working on some honey things. So spraying your measuring cups with nonstick yeah. spray before adding sticky ingredients and it, it works pours like right out. I was it wondering like who was going to get to that one first. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I was leaving it for you. Got to get it a good coating. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Give it good. Um, Robin and I went to a Taste of Home demonstration one, like, oh gosh, probably what, 10 years or so ago? Oh, yes. It's a long, a long time. time. Um, and the person who was giving the presentation did that tip and everyone in the audience about fell out of their seats. Like they had not known that. And we were like. And, huh. and I looked at each other and went, really? We thought everybody knew that. But apparently <laughs> they don't. So. so I always bring it up whenever I talk to someone thinking, well, maybe not everyone knows that one, but it works exactly. like a charm. I know. It it's, it's, it's funny, too. We always say those kind of things like everybody knows this. Nope. They don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why we're sharing. I mean, even here today, we've each learned something new that, and some of these we've published, some we haven't, but most we have. Um, but uh, I want to go back to the grocery store for a second because we were talking about <laughs> Hy-Vee in the grocery store. Um, one, and I segment my list. It's, uh, you know, working in the test kitchen, and especially if you've done any of the shopping and stuff, segment the list by department in the store, kind of how the store is laid out. 
Um, mm-hmm. But the tip that we published, and I think it's the along the same vein, is if you've got a running grocery list at home, so you're just adding things to the grocery list throughout the week, then take a highlighter and highlight the different sections. So dairy, where they're all have blue, and then produce gets yellow or green or something. So along those lines, so segment your list, and you don't have to rewrite it then, you're not wasting any more paper, you are just taking the list that you just added to through the week and highlighting it based on department in the store and how it's laid out. It really does make it more efficient when you go shopping. And I'm all about getting in and getting out. That was one of the tips that I'm like, why haven't I been doing that? Uh-huh. <laughs> when I was looking at it, I thought, that makes so much sense. Right. Of course, you have to See, have highlighters available. Exactly. Yes. And I'm one that I'll rewrite it because I'm like, pending the store I go to, I'm like, okay, going down the aisles, I know you're going to hit this, 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 and work away around. So it's like, I can get in and out of a store quickly where it's like, Shane comes on like an hour and a half later. I'm like, what took you so long? <laughs> <laughs> The longer you yeah. stay in the store, the more things you're likely to, to pick up and put in your cart. Things yeah. that are not on your right. list. <laughs> because you keep passing the end cap 20 times looking for that one item. And you're <laughs> like, oh. You'll go down an aisle and you go, oh, oh, yeah, I didn't know I, yeah, I didn't know I needed that. Right. But, right. oh, I forgot I needed that. Or the problem here is I can't remember if, um, what store, it, it, where it's at in which right. store. Yeah. And you know, because I don't just shop one store because we Same. need different things and I can't get them all at one store. And I right. live in a smaller town and it's more difficult. And um, so I fortunately have three different places to shop, but unfortunately I have three different places to shop. <laughs> well, kind of the general rule of thumb that I understand is the try to shop the perimeter as much as possible just from a health standpoint because most of the health food healthy foods are usually along the perimeter not 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 pantry or staple items that kind of thing but produce um uh meat dairy all of that kind of thing the more whole foods are usually around perimeter um anyway yep that's uh Okay, I have one other one. I forgot, I had started off with the lemon-lime juicing things and I did this yesterday in the TK. And it was, um, when you are juicing, using one of those um, handheld juicers that you know you cut in half, put the half in, squeeze it, um, do a little like cuts on the sides and it just mm-hmm. allows you to open up the, the half of a, a piece of citrus that you're juicing and you can get a lot more juice out of it than- um, oh, yeah then yeah, if you didn't do that. So that's a nice little easy tip, I think. That's Mm -hmm. in my top 10 most frequently used tips. So yeah. Yeah. And it's another one, people see you doing it and they're like, huh, why? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) simple. I don't know. It's funny, when I did a lot of food demos uh, years back and I would amaze audiences with having four different ways to mince parsley. (laughs) <laughs> and I, it just was, it was like, uh, you know, one of those uh, Rachel Ray moments when the audience goes, oh. Mm-hmm. Well, what are your four <laughs> ways, John? Tell us what your four ways are. Well, uh, clipping it, uh, there's shaving it down, holding like uh, parsley or cilantro or whatever upside down a bunch, and then yes. run the knife along the stems. 
to uh-huh. cut leaves off. And then there's another one where you put the leaves into a cup and or this works with whole tomatoes too, but snip it all up in a cup with a scissor, uh, uh-huh. kitchen shears. And then, of course, there's just manually mincing it. And what was the fourth one? I don't know. <laughs> but it was like, come on, Luna? people. Holding it and yeah, just, no, yeah. yeah. Um, or, or mincing well, mushrooms with using two knives. Um, mincing. Well, actually, you're talking about herbs. One of the, this was a Q&A question that we had that I was looking at earlier. And I thought for herbs that like a cilantro are parsley, it's okay to use the stems. Like when, I, if I have a really thick, heavy, um, particularly cilantro, I don't get it quite as much with, with parsley. I might cut that. So it's more tender to just to take the top part, but it is okay to use the stem part of those, um, those herbs. Now, if your recipe is calling for just leaves for whatever reason, just follow that. But really on a general basis, um, those softer, herbs, go ahead and, and use the stems too. Um, at least the soft part of the stems. And, um, you know, you might not do that. I, I wouldn't do that. I shouldn't say I might not, but I would not do that with rosemary or thyme where you've got a very woody, um, sure. the, those unless you get the wimpy time that it's like, that's true. That is it. I, I love thyme, but I, anymore, I, I am averse to calling for it because it is tedious to anybody have a tip actually for, um, for stemming and getting the leaves on time. I mean, I do the running, you know, run, especially Mm -hmm. if you have, if you have a a thicker stem, you pull down opposite of the, um, the growth pattern. Yes. Um, and otherwise chop those stems up if they're that wimpy, (laughs) if they're wimpy, if they're the soft ones. Yeah. If it's, it's fresh or more baby time. Yeah. Sometimes I'll even kind of like with, um, oh, like shard, you know, and that kind of stuff where you fold the leaves over and run it along the thing. Sometimes yeah. with time, I'll just kind of chop right along the base since, you sure. know, it's not going to quite let you do it like with shard where you can run a knife along the stem and right. get them to separate where, you know, time, sometimes I'll just like do a quick chop right next to it. Oh, <laughs> well, I wonder. Good try. Yeah. Or like uh, kitchen shears kind of mm-hmm. kitchen shears kind of along the the stem. So I'm to probably try having just... a little more waste, but at least it's sure. it's a little less yes. frustration. <laughs> it's just, it's very time consuming and tedious. And that's what these tips are about, everybody. It's really about making your and our lives more, you know, simpler in the, t- in the kitchen. And so that you are more inclined to cook at home and cook with us. So, um, you, know, it, you know, we don't want to make, everybody's lives are hard, there's a lot going on. Nobody seems to have enough time to do all the things they want to do. And little tips like this can just sort of um, save you some time and, and frustration. <laughs> there was a meme going around on Instagram. It's by like neat mom. I don't know if anyone follows that, but it just makes me laugh because it was like any recipe that start that says it's easy, but starts with chopping an onion. I'm out. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's not it you know it's a little thing that is <laughs> that's not an easy weeknight dinner if i have to chop an onion <laughs> i think these people like are really onions. i think they're, they're i do too <laughs> i do too 
Um, but it's so funny how it's like, you know, different mindsets where it's like, you know, that's something that like, without a doubt, I'm putting onion in. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, we're also different, now, aren't we? <laughs> do we all uh, have different strategies? I, I, I can't remember the last time that an onion made me cry. And I'm trying to think, um, is there something that we're doing that that just doesn't happen? Because it it's so notorious. That's one reason people are averse to onions just because oh they make me cry and i yeah. don't want to do that. i i have tried the the um <laughs> the trick with um uh, match doesn't work i've tried goggles i buy glasses so i don't seem to i have so contacts affected. so oh. i notice when i switch from contacts to glasses my eyes water more because like the contacts keep that barrier oh that's interesting but if you're getting to the point to stick your head in the fridge or like freezer to like, you know, that helps take away that um, really like sting. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Wow, I've never heard of that one. Oh. Yes. But then also I read too. Um, so I don't, I can't remember if I think, you know, if you put your onions in the fridge, the coldness takes it away as well versus like, I mean, I always have mine right. sitting on the counter, but sometimes uh -huh. if I have a part of an onion, I'll yeah. throw it in the fridge. Oh, and right. that's when I notice, oh yeah, you know, I've, I don't notice it as often when I'm, when it's in the fridge. Yeah, I think the theory behind the match and whatnot is to create a draft away from um, <laughs> the onion itself. Because that's what I've always done is try to get into a, uh, uh, a breeze, as it were. If there's, you know, a hood in the kitchen or vent going on or fan even, mm -hmm. that I'll, I'll try to get that. Uh, blowing across the onion and before it gets to my eyes true um, i know sometimes i, know I forget away quickly so because i have contacts and then i'm chopping and grace grace that always says she wants to be a chef when she gets older so she wants to sit there and watch me or like shane cook so i always forget if she's sitting there she doesn't have glasses and sometimes she's like oh my eyes like <laughs> <laughs> so i told her i'm like that's from the onions <laughs> Like, sorry, go step away or put your head in the fridge. <laughs> go stick your head in the fridge, girl. <laughs> so that was something I did remember, like, it's, you know, the coldness of like the fridge or uh, freezer kind of takes it away. tend to, I guess I, I haven't been chopping that much onion or, I would think that if I'm chopping a lot, I might notice it, but for one onion, I don't normally. No. Uh, yeah. Get you can that. get through it. Yeah. <laughs> I think every now and then you come across a pungent one because I, had, do. I don't usually have yeah. a problem, but the other day I, I was like, whoa, this, this is a, I had to take a step away, but <laughs> because, it, well, and I, my little countertop area was, is kind of not, it's kind of confined, I guess. So the, the fumes oh, were all yeah. coming right up and air my won't face circulate. And, it, yeah, it wasn't really circulating air right in there, and I was like, "Wow, okay, let's <laughs> let's step back here for a minute, and take my glasses off, and start over here." But but that and it just struck me because it hadn't happened in quite a long time, so I don't know what the deal was. Maybe it was just that onion, but uh, yeah, boy, when it hits you, you're like, "Okay, now this is not fun." <laughs> yeah. Well, nice, when we were nice talking down. about all those herbs i know we have so many different tips for storing herbs and stuff and i know oh, a common right. one is putting a little water in a 
you know, measuring cup or a, you know, mason jar or something and, you know, storing it in that with like, you know, say it's parsley, you know, put it in there, cover it with the plastic bag that, you know, grocery sack and put it back in your fridge and that helps. That, but I know I've also... a way to do parsley and cilantro. You're right. Totally. Mm. But with little girls, you know, and stuff, I've been leaning more towards the paper towel. So just doing a little damp paper towel around mm -hmm. it and putting it in a Ziploc and putting it in my yeah. crisper, you know, drawer yep, that seems to be too. helping too. So it does work. Oh, oh it, because it little girls over accidentally that. <laughs> yeah. Things get knocked over or, you know, all of a sudden it's like <laughs> dropped on the ground and they have no idea how that happened. <laughs> my mom would call that who did it and ran. <laughs> yeah. Like Grace this morning, speaking of spilling, she takes, I'm like, okay, get your waters ready for school. She takes her lid off her water bottle and she's doing something. Her water's pouring on the floor. And I'm like, Grace, you have water in there already. And she's looking at me and I'm like, get a towel. <laughs> and, next? and I see her smiling like, oops. He's always spilling. Um, okay. This is kind of a, it's not a tip exactly, but it was a question that we got um, from a reader, uh, Muriel Kronig, who oh. um, <laughs> writes to John quite, do they have their pen pals? Um, she had asked about cauliflower rice because we've written about it several times and she wasn't familiar with it. She wanted to know, is it something you buy or something you make or exactly what it is? Cauliflower rice is cauliflower that has basically been sort of pulverized, buzzed up to sort of be the size of rice grains. And you can cook it more like a starch then um, where you would just pan saute it or something. So you can take a head of cauliflower and um, take it off the, the you know, cut the, the big core part out and just use your florets and, and whatnot and put it into a food processor and buzz it, just pulse it until it's minced, basically kind of the size of rice. Or you can, because it is so popular, you can buy it at the grocery store and it is labeled cauliflower rice. So if anybody has ever wondered about that and hadn't seen the tip that was published in um, issue 148, that is what cauliflower rice is. And you can do it with broccoli too. You know, uh -huh. I know we've done a, a bowl with that where we, you know, took the broccoli, you know, cut off the core stems and, you know, and just pulse the greens yep. and stuff. And, you know, that that makes a good kind of base as well. Yeah. And if you're trying to maybe eat a little healthier um, carb, it's it's a nice um, mm -hmm. change up. Um, but anyway, so thank you, Muriel, for asking that question. So we could just tell people about that. <laughs> Um, I had a Q&A mm -hmm. flagged that uh -huh. um, sometimes, you know, things like we start to, you know, think about versus, you know, oh, like everyone knows that. But it was what's the difference between blanching and parboiling? Mm -hmm. So, you know, something that's so very similar, but like blanching, you're doing it maybe not as long. And so then you're also plunging it into an ice water bath where parboiling, say you're doing a potato salad, like we were talking about earlier before the podcast, and you're boiling the potatoes or, you know, or needing something just to, you know, start the cooking process. You don't necessarily, potato salad, you might, I'm not, depending if you're doing cold or hot, but a lot of times you're just, you know, cooking it a little longer than you would blanching, but not necessarily doing the ice water bath after. Um. 
that is an, another one we published along those lines, Maddie, mm-hmm. was um, simmering versus boiling. And yeah. um, basically, um, it's sort of um, one is a um, more intense version of the other. So simmering is where you're just having small little bubbles kind of around the edge or just sort of um, percolate the top of the, the water. Boiling is when you are, you're seeing a lot of activity in your pot. Um, there's movement, you see big bubbles, there's agitation. And so um, anyway, um, simmering, you typically have to kind of keep your eye on though, because it can go, as the heat goes on, um, it will um, be more active. So you may have to lower the temp if you are trying to simmer something and just keep it where it's just kind of gently percolating um, versus kind of going to town there. So that was another one we had. Um, and I also wanted to talk about, this was another one I thought was kind of interesting. It, we got a question from a reader, Tom Bernstein from Sarasota, Florida. He wanted to know about salting pasta water. And it is, um, you definitely want to salt your pasta water. And um some people say that salted water cooks faster, cooks your pasta faster um, is a myth, but salted water does come to a boil faster, but the difference is negligible. Um, salting the water is important. It absorbs, um, the pasta absorbs the water and salt um, seasons it from the inside out. We salt the water after it comes to a boil. The thing that you, and if you're going to do it in the beginning, some people like to do it in the beginning so they don't forget you want to prop, you want to stir that up because it can pit your pan if you um, if you don't do that. And when I say pit your pan, you'll just see little kind of marks on the bottom of the pan. But um, when you do salt your water um, after it boils, you can see it. It will boil. It, a lot of times, it will over overboil. What I have found, and I've heard a lot of different things. Usually I turn the heat down slightly to add the salt or I add a little at a time to sort of get it agitated and then add more. But what I've also done, I do often, is I put a wooden spoon into the pot because it's the breaking of the surface. And I don't know if this is true or not, that it's the breaking of the surface that is um, causing the water to sort of volcano up. And so if you've broken the surface with a wooden spoon in there, that helps minimize um, the eruption when you're adding the salt. Um, and it is also when the spoon is in there, it's a good idea to then stir your salt that you've just added. So a um, couple of things that uh, related to parboiling and, and boiling water and whatnot. Along that lines, I know um, I have heard somewhere that if you put a wooden spoon across the top of your pot, it shouldn't boil over. I don't really necessarily have a problem with boil over, so I haven't came, you know, but I'm I'm sure if you fill it, you know, for people who maybe put more water into their pots and, I but that was something. So I wondered if it's the same kind of concept, if it's. Yeah. I you mean like that really works. I don't yeah, think. Yeah, I, right I, across, yeah. <laughs> I think the idea on that one, I could be wrong, um, is to maybe not, um, it's so if you're putting a lid on it, that it's partially open. So you don't get that eruption because the heat all of a sudden 
gets to a, a boil real quick or quicker because you've trapped your heat inside. So I think that might be part of it. So well, it's, it's without just, the lid. It's, oh, it's like, yeah. say you're, bu- it's you know, cooking noodles. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I'm, I'm not, not sure with that one. I'm not familiar with that it's, one. <laughs> it's funny because I've done it, but because it prevents the boil over, I assume it's working, but maybe it's just. <laughs> yeah. Is it is it one or the other? Is it really working or is it because I did it, it's working or because I think it's going to work that it, I don't know. It, okay. I think it might have something to do with the surface tension, but I'm not sure. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to switch gears and I'm going to tell you one of um, a really helpful Q&A that we published clear back in issue 41. So I'm going way back in the archives, but um you know, a lot of people ask about alcohol substitutions because we use a lot of alcohol in our recipes because I think it really brings something to the table. But that doesn't work for everybody. But we published in Q&A um, a list of substitutions, which I think is really helpful. You know, if, if your recipe calls for white wine, what can you use? Or red wine, brandy, beer. And so we listed out substitutions for them. I think it's awesome. It's an awesome well, list. And so, so, like, if you have, let's say, let's say, if you have um, vodka, you can use water or apple cider or white grape juice mixed with lime juice. I mean, we, red wine, you could use grape juice or cranberry juice or chicken beef or vegetable broth or uh, flavored vinegar or tomato juice. So, I mean, it gives you lots of options so you can kind of decide in whatever you're making if you I guess yeah it might it's not work a best. one for one correct it gives you some options on yep. your substitution list so you kind of have to think about well right this what are you making application what might what right. might work but at least there's some there's sure. some choices you know sure um I just thought that was kind of a you know a nice list so like I said that's clear back in issue 41 that we did that um I just think it's kind of a, it's just kind of a nice thing, you know, for beer, you can use, you know, broth or white grape juice or ginger ale. And a lot of times too, it's kind of like when we are adding alcohol and stuff, it's to like kind of deglaze or to scrape up some bits. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so whatever, a lot of the recipes, like say you do already have chicken broth in your recipe, it's a good, you know, it's just use more of that if you want to. Yeah. I mean, you know, you surely can. Well, Uh, and then there, there are. Um, de-alcoholized wines now mm-hmm. too. So right. that is, right. and and if you buy one that has gone through the, uh, uh, now this is asking me to go back to um, some past Q and A's more recent, and I, I can't even think of the process, but that is gone through the actual um, standard process of how you would make wine or something. And then what they do is they pull the alcohol out and yeah. um, and then they add, I guess it's, I'm going to say water, but I don't know exactly fully, but it, it retains the flavor and the nuances of wine. So instead of Mm -hmm. um, buying some, um, I want to say, I'll look at, I'll look it up while we talk here, um, alcohol free wines, because some of them could be just more like grape juice or something. Mm -hmm. But if you want the nuances of Of the wine, wine, you can actually get that now. Yeah. Which is the difference between 2003 and 2022. I mean, totally. so right. it's just really changed. Right. Yeah. Well, 
And you can get non-alcoholic beer now, which yeah is not a problem. Besides old duels. Which, which <laughs> right. right, which you which you couldn't find so much in 2003. So there's that going on. But you know, if you just wanted a quick reference, this is nice. But yes. it's uh, but also it is amazing. You're right. How things have changed in you know 19 years is crazy. But yeah, uh, I agree. And, but I will say I was crazy surprised at the non-alcoholic wine because I do enjoy wine. Um, and I was surprised by the non-alcoholic version that it's good. I mean, yeah. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't it still have has some um, body flavor. Yeah. It didn't have a, a different a funny taste or sometimes, you know, like, I don't know, like diet soda versus real soda. It, there's a, there's a real difference and stuff. I don't know. That's not a good comparison, but well, anyway. I I found, okay, so an issue 50, uh, so spring 2022 is where we talk about um, non-alcoholic wine and how it's made. Um, so true non-alcoholic or de-alcoholized wines start out as fully fermented alcoholic wines that either go through the, a technologically intensive vacuum distillation or reverse osmosis process. So the fermentation process is responsible for creating the alcohol, but also the complex flavors. In vacuum distillation, the wine is placed in a vacuum chamber and gently heated to evaporate the alcohol while preventing flavor, preserving flavor, excuse me. Reverse osmosis first filters out the aroma and phenolic, is that how you say that? Phenolic compounds mm -hmm. before the alcohol is removed by distillation. The water is then added back to the filtered out flavor compounds. This is an expensive process and not so environmentally fun friendly. Um, and then on um, the din, you know, some non-alcohol wines are simply unfermented grape juice that has not gone through any vinification process. When shopping for alcohol-free wine, look for words like alcohol removed or de-alcoholization on the label to avoid buying expensive fruit juice. So <laughs> if you want the nuance and not the alcohol, that's what you, you go for. <laughs> but uh, to your point, Robin, there are, if there are times when you don't need to do that. You just use some stock or if you're, if you're doing something that you maybe want a little bit of the sweetness or something to that effect that a juice will bring, then that's an okay substitute too. Um, totally. it, it does sort of depend on your recipe. Right. And you know what, but that also, I, I will say is the beauty of cooking is that you have the ability to, to customize it more mm -hmm. so than baking. I mean, in, in cooking, oh, you have, yeah. You know, yeah. baking, eh, you know, <laughs> it's more scientific, but cooking is, can just be fun. So I think that we don't need, we shouldn't lose sight of that. that we yeah. I don't know own. how many times we've had um, some readers write in and say, I followed the recipe to a T, but I did change but. this ingredient. <laughs> you have to be prepared for it to not be the same recipe if you have made changes. If you've yeah. made a change. Mm -hmm. If you made a change and it doesn't taste the way you think it should, then it's, it's not the recipe's fault. <laughs> and yes, we do test our recipes, so they're not just... And we've all together. done it. Yeah. I oh, thought this yes. switch would be, you know, great and work. Fail. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Well, how many times? Well, um, I ran into that this week. It sounded great on paper, but when the execution, yeah. it was just like, whoa, what a disaster this was. It just, <laughs> I, I thought it, it was going to be good. You know, <laughs> at the last spring or whatever, um, 
I got a, a reader question and asked whether or not they could use amaretto instead of uh, almond extract in something. And I thought, well, it's probably not going to get you there, you know, because there's, you know, the flavor isn't concentrated and uh, they're just designed differently. And then weeks pass and there I am testing a recipe at home and I'm <laughs> facing exactly that situation. I, I didn't have any almond extract and yeah. I, but I did have amaretto. <laughs> And no, it doesn't work. I was correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were right. <laughs> uh, proved it to myself. Yeah. See, that's hilarious. I would always have almond extract and no amaretto. <laughs> I'm with you, Maddie. <laughs> I have neither. Even though I love almond and almond extract, I have neither. <laughs> Gosh, we are all different, aren't we? Um, so. Hey, I do have one more tip that I kind of liked that I wanted to throw out there. Um, because I was watching, um, I was watching a show, I was watching Zoe Bakes and she was making pie and she was doing a lattice top, which made me think of this tip where you put the lattice, you make the lattice top and then you put it in the freezer. So you make, don't make it on the pie, you make it on like parchment and then you freeze it. And once it's frozen, it's so easy to just pick it up and lay it on your pie that and you don't have to worry about it falling apart or not working you just lay it on that pie and then once it thaws a little bit then you can trim it up and and uh crimp the edges and finish up your pie which um is not how she did it but that's what our tip says and i've done it that way before and boy, that was it on a chicken pot pie or something too i think you've done it as well yeah. right well after i saw that tip yes i do it that way because it just makes <laughs> It just makes it so much easier. I do love that too. Yeah. Um, you know, I can I can make it the other way as well, but I do enjoy that tip uh, because it just makes your life a little bit easier. And you don't have to worry about it. You can do all your work on the, the parchment. It doesn't take very long for it to freeze solid enough that you can just lift it up and set it on your pie and go from there. So I do I really do like that tip a lot. So thought I would just shout out pie because I had pie on my brain after watching her show. I was like, oh yeah, I haven't made pie in a long time. So there we go. Pie. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of want pie now. <laughs> I've got cobbler, but no pie. <laughs> but she was making a strawberry rhubarb pie, which made me think of your your cobbler too. So I had all that stuff yeah. in my head. Now I go, yeah, pie. <laughs> interesting yeah yeah so there you go which there was another tip that we had a long pie you know about where they had you know they have foil on the on the baking sheet for spillovers but then you also if it starts browning too much then you can just roll the edges of that foil up and around the edges of your pie crust so if it gets too brown to protect the edges from being too brown so you already have that on your you just pull it out and wrap that around the edges that one works uh, too i saw a nice um tip uh published in another magazine that i actually think is for a pie shield and it's taking the um a tart pan so not the you know with the removable bottom and just flipping the side part over over the edges the pie, and that is kind of a handy dandy easy um pie shield so you don't have to buy a separate 
um, gadget for your kitchen if you do have a tart pan with a removable bottom at home. I thought that was a sure. nice little tip too. Mm -hmm. um, when in doubt, I always line my baking sheets with parchment or foil. So to make sure. cleanup easy. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Need that mess. Um, John, were were you going to say something? Well, I was thinking along those lines. Um, didn't we just have uh, with cheesecakes putting them in a roasting bag? Yeah. To keep the mm -hmm. water from seeping in. Mm -hmm. yeah. I was going to say that uh, that appeared uh, in one of um, the cheesecake contests that I uh, judged at the state fair this year. Somebody uh -huh. used that as part of their technique. So. I was charm. okay. It really could, does. I was trying to visualize it as I was reading it, and I still have kind of a disconnect. So, can you talk us through that? Well, you have the roasting bag, and you just put it around the bottom of your cheesecake can. And I just sort of around the the so like a spring, a spring the outside. Right? Yeah, I said the roasting. Yeah, yeah right. around the outside of the pan. Um, and you just kind of tie the excess over to the, I just kind of tied it. You can wrap it with a twist tie or whatever, because you'll have excess. So you the, kind of fold it down. So it's just kind of around yeah, kind the. Yeah, squish it around. Yeah. So it's just around the pan. Yep. And then you can set that in your larger pan that the water goes in. Got it. Right. Okay. You know how, okay. Yep. So then it's, and then you just have it tied up. So it's all encased in the bag and the opening is around the upper edge of the spring form pan. It's tied off, the excess is tied off and people that are listening to this can't see my hands. So I'm doing it all with my hands. <laughs> and um, and you're that. tying it with kitchen twine or something or? Um, I just sort of tied it with, tied it on itself oh, with, with a knot. Oh, use the, the bag, sure. Yeah, okay. I just kind of tied it with a knot. You could also, you could use twine, you could use a rubber band. Tie rubber band you could use any of those things but i had enough i could just kind of tie mm -hmm. it with a tie uh -huh. it with itself into a, right. a knot so it was tight um up against the pan and then i could fill the the larger pan with water hot water to yeah, make it, it i think and that makes it, sense yeah yeah because normally you've got a a pan that's um or if you're using foil it doesn't typically encase the whole thing. So there's going to be some, there's going to be some opening that water can seep in somewhere and, and, and nobody can see my fingers either. Yeah. Right. I know. And so, I know we're yeah. both using our hands to show and yes, we're on the same page. <laughs> right. Only people right. can see us. Or maybe that's good that they can't. I don't know. But <laughs> well, also maybe you want to do but that before you well. pour the filling in. So it's not, uh, well, oh, that yeah, might sure. be an easier first step, like when you're getting ready, so you're not like right. being gentle. Well, <laughs> yes, after you have the crust made, and because you, you know, usually you you bake that bake crust, um, but it it sounds more complicated than it is when it's in front of you and you just set it in there and you really it it sounds complicated, but when you're actually doing it, it's not complicated because it's you're just. Like you're you're fitting a I don't know if anyone else does this but I'll use like grocery sacks in our bathroom trash cans and tie yes. it, uh -huh. yeah. tie it yeah. you know same uh -huh. similar concept kind of thing absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah when you're I looking think, at it it's not hard <laughs> no I think my disconnect or, or uncertainty with it was just exactly where you were tying it and how far up close and close it and how yeah just a little bit of that um man I think we could keep going um uh, you know what I did want to 
to add one more, this was a Q&A that we did June 2022, issue 141. And the reason I am interested in it is because uh, uh, sneak peek we are doing in our spring issue, we're doing a vanilla bean pound cake. And Robin has tested a, a variety of, of uh, different things, um, including different flowers. And um, one of some her research led her to test with bleached flour versus unbleached. And now we always use unbleached flour in the test kitchen. And the question was, um, why is flour bleached? Is bleach or unbleached flour better to use? And the we've said technically all flowers are bleached. Um, one is to a greater degree than than others. Bleached flour is treated with chemicals to expedite the process, resulting in a whiter and brighter flour with a softer texture and finer grain. So I'm assuming that is why it was recommended. So it's it's sort of a cross between an AP and a cake flour, let's just say. Um, And so the chemicals that are treated with are not harmful to you, but we do use unbleached flour. There are times when we might use a self-rising for a certain reason or and we didn't end up with a bleach flower, but that is why most likely it was um, considered and recommended. But um, so it was um, just really looking at bleach versus unbleached. So that was something I thought was an interesting little um, thing I learned. Well, this <laughs> along those lines, too, we've, we've made the discovery using, even though chemically they're identical, using uh, cane sugar over using beet sugar. Uh-huh. Right, uh, and we found that it, it, the cane sugar performs better, tastes better, better and whatnot. Yes. But it's chemically identical, but it's still, you know, on glucose. But there are different properties from their origins. So. There you go. All right, I'm gonna just say that we have um, walked through our tip extravaganza part one. Let's come back and revisit <laughs> it another time, since I think we probably can come up with some others. But uh, Hopefully we've given you some um, ideas for lightening your load um, in the kitchen and at home um, to make your life and cooking endeavors a little easier. Uh, We certainly try to employ them anytime. And I've heard a lot here today that I'm going to consider and try out. And please, if you have a kitchen tip, we would love to hear from you. Want to mail it to Cuisine at Home, Tips Editor, 2143 Grand Avenue, Des Moines, Iowa, 50312 or you can email us at cuisine at home at cuisine at home.com please include your name home address and phone number we will uh, test it and see how it nets out and if it uh, works for us seasonally and for we think enough readers then it might be published so thanks so much for joining us today and um, we look forward to uh You joining us the next time when there will be more um, shenanigans on must-love food. Thanks. Visit our site to learn about special offers, new products, and more for purchase. We offer live cooking seminars from pasta making and cast iron cooking to pie baking and stir frying techniques. Our special interest publications feature recipes centered around certain topics like feel-good food and slow cooker dinners. We also offer custom Cuisine at Home branded kitchen tools, such as aprons, cutting boards, and bench knives. Shop all of our offerings at CuisineAtHome.com.